Mark your books at number 520, 520. Good evening. It's good to see each one of you with us tonight. Uh, the slide behind me has a disclaimer, I suppose. Uh, is Israel still spiritually significant? Of course they're significant. Of course we're all significant, right? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God wants everyone to come to repentance not wishing that any should perish. He wants everyone to come to him, right? My question is, uh, during the war that's going on now with Israel and Hamas, uh, I've, I've seen some posts, and I've, I've heard some rumors uh, of some things that uh, some of uh, people that share like faith with us ha have bought into uh, that I don't think are biblical. And so uh, I don't I haven't seen any of that from anyone here. This is not directed at anyone specifically, of course. This is uh, just, uh, I've, I've been wanting to teach this, um, this doctrinal point uh, for a couple of weeks now. And this uh, has afforded a good opportunity to do that in a way that's relevant. So I kind of wanted to cover some of this material. So with that said, let's talk about it. Obviously, the things that are going on in the Middle East right now are atrocious. Uh, you don't have to have read very many news articles or listened to the news very long to know that what's going on is, is terrible. Um, horrible, should not have ever been done. This is war. 
you know, it's, it's been war. war. Wars are like this, right? They're, they're, they're terrible, um, and, and they cause, inf- they inflict pain on not just, of course, the soldiers, but, but also the innocents. Um, and all of that is true uh, with Israel, just as it was true with Ukraine and is true with Ukraine. Um, with, with every war that's ever come down the pipe, these things are, are true. Israel may be a special circumstance in that some folks have believed that there's still some spiritual significance attached to Israel by God. I don't think the Bible teaches that. Um, as I've been doing these mini biographies for, for some of our missionaries from the early 1900s, the late 1800s, early 1900s, we started sending out missionaries, the Churches of Christ started spending, sending out missionaries all over the world. Uh, and you'll find uh, biographies of these guys, and I've written about some of them, and we share all these very same beliefs, but they, they, some of them, not all of them, but some of them, bought into this idea of premillennialism, uh, at least some sort of tenet of that. I don't think it was as full-blown then as it is now. Um, and, and that's thanks to uh, Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth. Uh, that's thanks to Tim LaHaye. Um, I forget the other author's name, but the, the Left Behind series that some of you have probably read. They were, they were big when I was a kid. Um, they have propagated uh, this false doctrine. Uh, and so as Israel has been attacked uh, some of that stuff has resurfaced, uh, and some, some people are, are thinking um, there's steps that we need to take religiously in an effort to protect them. Should violence, uh, should, should oppressors be, um, that's not how I want to say that, should, should, should the oppressed be defended? Yes, yes. Unequivocally, yes. That's where, God, that's where God's heart is. He has always had this, this heart for protecting those who cannot protect themselves. That's, that's why he has such a big amount of things to say about, the, about orphans and widows. He likes protecting those who can't protect themselves. And so should we do that politically? Yeah, I, I think we should. You know, as, as a... As a um, as a helpful nation, as, as a nation that, as a people, forget a nation, but as a people, as Christians who want peace so that God's word can be multiplied in his world. Peace is the best spot, the best avenue to make that happen. And so, yes, of course, we want, we want peace. Um, but as far as having religious motives to protect Israel. I, I don't find that in Scripture. Um, I, I know you've heard the commercials. They were big when I was a kid especially. I think they still exist, but I don't, I don't watch commercials anymore. Do you? <laughs> so um, thanks to Hulu and Netflix, we just, I don't want to watch that anymore. So anyhow, so you, when you were a kid, when, when days gone by, you saw those commercials and, and they, were, they would say something like, uh, send money to protect Israel. Do you remember? Do you remember those? And we'll send you a quilt or an earring or, or something, right? And you would send them a hundred dollars, maybe not you, but people would send them money. And I've talked to a sister in, in years gone by that sent them over the span of 20, 30 years, thousands of dollars. Um, and, and they had sent her back a quilt. <laughs> and, <coughs> didn't seem like a fair trade to me, but 
but she had bought into, as so many have, this, this idea that Israel's still going to be important uh, in the future, that, that God still has a plan for them. And so I'm curious what his plan might be. Um, specifically, we need to think specifically tonight because God does have a plan for Israel. It's the exact same plan that he has for you. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to come to a knowledge of him. He wants you to go deeper with him. All those things are true for everyone. Uh, but I, I don't think that, I can't find in Scripture that God has a special plan for Israel anywhere. And so I, I kind of wanted to walk through some verses with you this evening. But I don't have a clicker. So you get to watch that, 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 uh, that one slide all night. Is the clicker back there, Thomas? Oh, good, you're going to do it. Okay, that's fine too. Um, so the first, the first question we really need to ask is, is Palestine still the promised land? There, there, there are a variety of promises throughout Scripture that talk about um, Palestine, this, this section of the world, being the promised land. Is that still the case, or is that something that has gone by the wayside? Let, let's walk through some of those verses. Can you advance the slide one more time, Thomas? Thank you. Uh, so in Exodus 19, verse 5, this is a, a familiar slide. Thank you, you're the man. <laughs> I've got a lot of slides. Uh, I didn't want to have to do that the whole time. Uh, so in Exodus chapter 19, yeah, that's the right one. Hopefully it works. Um, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, Exodus 19 is, uh, is right before the giving of the Ten Commandments. That happens in Exodus chapter 20, right? Uh, and so he's, he's on the verge, he's on the eve of delivering all of his laws to this burgeoning nation that, that he's bought. He's paid for these people. Um, they're, they're his. Um, and so if they want to continue to be his, they have to follow this set of laws, the Ten Commandments. Uh, if they don't, then what might happen? Well, Exodus 19, verse 5, this is a conditional promise. You know it's a conditional promise? Because he uses the word if. So you've used this. You, you use conditional promises. I guarantee it, especially if you have children. If you do this... There will be consequences, right? Have you used that, that, that train of thought? If you do this, if they don't do that, then what? No consequences. We get to continue living our life without further drama, right? But if you do this conditional promise, then I will do this. This is God uses those all the time. Uh, Exodus 19 verse 5 is, is just one of those many examples. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. If you don't do that, then what? Eventually, I will cut you off. True, right? This is a conditional statement. This is, this is not um, an unconditional promise. They don't, they don't get this promise forever that they're always going to be God's people without any kind of um, conditions or without any kind of uh, restrictions. They can do whatever they want to do and still be His people. That's, that's not the case, is it? And so if they were to step out of line long enough, He cuts them off. And eventually you see that. You see Him threatening that in Hosea and Amos's day. He's going to send in the Assyrians and uh, for the northern nation, and then for the southern nation of, of, uh, of Judah, he's going to send in the, the Babylonians, and they're going to, for a while, cut off Israel from, from Yahweh. That's, that's his purposes in the exile. He's going to bring them back. They're, they're going to maintain that, that type of uh, relationship, this type of relationship with him, though they keep on sinning. He's not, he's not done with them just yet at the exile. And so he brings them back and they rebuild the temple in 536 and 
they become uh, a nation. Once again, though they had been scattered to all the parts of the earth, that they come back into Israel and they maintain this relationship with God, although they still continue to sin, of course, um, and, and blatantly so, uh, egregiously so. And so by the time Jesus comes along in the first century, um, their relationship has reached a boiling point from which it will not recover. When they crucify Jesus, that's, that's really that's one of the last nails in the coffin. But as they start trying to um, hurt the church, that, that will be the last straw. That will be all said and done then. They're no longer his people. And you see that in AD 70 when he destroys Jerusalem. He cuts them off. They're, they're, not his, they're not his people anymore. They're no longer significant, um, at least spiritually speaking. Let me give you a couple more. Bad news, Thomas. <laughs> there you go. Let me give you a couple more um, verses to think about. Deuteronomy 28, and the first 15 or so verses, he gives you a series of blessings. If you do this, I'll do this. Man, if, if Israel will stay with him, he will bless them beyond their wildest imaginations, Right? It's incredible what he offers. But then if, if they won't, if they continue on in their sin, if they keep on choosing their way over his, and he uses verses 16 through the end of the chapter, and it's a lengthy chapter. You see verse 64 up here to describe the curses that he's going to give them. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> you go through and read these, this chapter. It's, it's awful. Um, you kind, of, you kind of pull back away from reading it. You read a couple of these verses and think, oh, this is hard. This is hard to read. This is hard to, hard to take in that he would, he would do this to these people, but he, he, he does, and he did, and he has. Um, let, let's just read this verse, Deuteronomy 28, 62. He says, whereas you were numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So I guess the first thing that we really need to talk about is, is, is Palestine still significant? Is, is it really the promised land? I don't think it is. I think it's no more important, biblically speaking, than any other tract of land on his earth. I think he loves it. I think he made it good. But it, it holds no special significance like it used to. In the Old Testament, Palestine, this, this section of, of dirt, held incredible significance to God. It's where he lived. It's where his people dwelled. Um, and so it was significant, but uh, those days are over. Those days are over because the Israelites refused to accept Jesus. And that's, that's New Testament. Throughout the New Testament, that, that's going to be the, the theme that runs through that. And you've seen that as we've walked through Acts this year, haven't you? Time and time again, they will push back. <clears throat> Excuse me. They, the Israelites will push back against uh, God's apostles. And, and, uh, and you've even got an apostle that is directly, specifically for the Gentiles. And he, 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 he pushes back against Judaism. The, their day was, was over in the first century. Because they refuse to obey. They refuse to submit. Uh, verse 64. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. 
He's saying that in Moses' day, around 1450 B.C., 1450 years, around there, before Jesus was born. He's making this promise to them. If you obey me, I will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. But if you refuse, if you do your own thing, I'm going to jerk the rug up underneath you and you're not going to be my people anymore. So when did this happen? Whoa. Okay. So when did that, when did that happen? Um, in one sense, it happened at the, uh, at the, at the exile in 563. Um, in one sense, it's going to happen when uh, the, the Greeks come and take them over and, and spread them still farther. In one sense, it's going to be happening in, in when the Romans do the exact same thing as the previous nations have done. Um, but ultimately, I, I would assume that it's fulfilled in modern day when, when Jewish people are, are spread throughout the world. So the land is no longer significant. Um, that ended in the first century. So I think the Bible backs that up. I think these verses we've read, among others, uh, make that pretty clear for us. So the next question we got to ask once we figure out that the land's no longer significant is, are the people still significant? Are they still spiritually significant? Are they God's people? Or are they an addendum to God's people? Does he still care for them in a special way that he wouldn't care for the rest of the world, for the people in the rest of the world? And again, I don't, I don't think the answer is yes. I, I think that he views the Israelites just exactly the same as he would the rest of us. You're going to have to help me with this uh, slide again, Tom. Thank you. Um, clicker's dead, I guess. So let me, let me throw out a couple of verses for your consideration as we walk through this idea. Um, this will be one of the verses people will go to uh, as, uh, again, this is believed by a lot of people, um, especially those in the, in the denominational world. If you've got friends that are um, not members of the church, then... 10 to 1 says that they, they buy into this, this theory, at least in some respect. Uh, there's a lot of leeway in uh, premillennialism, and a lot of people believe a lot of different things and different sections of different things that, that go into this, this tenet of premillennialism. Um, but this will be one of the verses that they go to to help prove that Israel's still significant. So let's, let's kind of walk through it. Ironically, <clears throat> a lot of times I found that a lot of times um, when someone will go to a verse to try to prove a false doctrine, that's the exact same verse that actually teaches the exact opposite of what they're trying to teach. And this verse is, is, is no different. So Paul says to the Romans, as regards to the gospel, they are, speaking of the Jews, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. The argument is, Israel is still loved by God, right? He chose them, and since his gifts and callings won't be rescinded, they must still be his people. Listen, listen to this next little phrase here in verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He, he's not going to pull them back. Those, those are yours forever. He gave them to you once, and they're, they're, they're yours forever. Now, we've, we've already seen that that's not the case. He is very big on conditional promises. Verse 30 for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Romans 11 is actually saying that Israel is precious because of the patriarch 
because of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are men that believed God, they trusted in Him, and they obeyed Him. If Israel is significant for any reason, it is because of their heritage, their connection to those men. Those men are special, right? Those men are special. They're in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, the, the place that we would go to to, to point out um, pillars of faith, the ways that we should act. Um, he still blesses people like that, people who believe in him, who obey him, who submit to him, to trust him. He still blesses people like that. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, that is what will never be changed. That is what will never be rescinded. If, if you believe in God, if you obey Him, if you submit to Him, that's the part of this that will never change. It's not a, it's not a specific promise to a specific people. It's a conditional promise to everyone. If you love me, love is an active thing, right? It means obedience, right? If you love me, you'll what? You'll obey my commands. We talked about that this morning. So if you love him, he will come through for you. That won't ever change. We've got a full warranty on that promise, just like you would on your car. If something goes, that little check engine light, how many of it gives you heart palpitations, doesn't it? It does me. Like, oh, man, here we go again. But if you've got a full warranty on it, what do you do? You drive that thing right back to the dealership, plop your warranty on the table and say, thank you for fixing my car. I don't care how much it fixes. You guys use the best stuff, right? We've got a full warranty on this particular promise. If you love him, if you believe and follow him, you'll be loved by God too. He showed the Gentiles mercy when Israel stopped following him and opening up his kingdom to everybody. So that's, that's really what happens here, isn't it? And you see that once you, once you start thinking through this verse. Spend some time with this verse this week. Spend some time with this chapter this week. And, and as you work through it, you're going to see this stuff. The Jews pushed back against what God was trying to do. And so he opens up his kingdom after several decades and acts. It takes decades for the church to leave Jerusalem. But once it does, once Paul comes on the scene and the persecution starts, what happens to the church? And it explodes. It goes everywhere. And it's no longer just a Jewish thing. It's an everybody thing. Uh, and that's, that's what's happening here because the Jews refuse to listen to him. He opens up the kingdom to everybody. Through their disobedience, through the Jewish people's disobedience, everybody gets blessed. And that means now that everybody's welcome including the Jews, if they're willing to submit, they're, they're welcome into his new kingdom, the, the church, right? This passage doesn't teach that Israel is still significant. In fact, it teaches the exact opposite. They're no more important than the rest of the world. We're all significant to him, right? Okay. Oh, nice. Okay, so Romans 2 um, is another passage we probably need to spend a little bit of time with. He says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. What's he saying? Circumcision is, is, the, uh, is the symbol of the covenant, right? It's what made you a Jew. You didn't just get to say, I'm a Jew. You had to be circumcised. You had, you had to follow his way of life, right? You had, this, is, this was a, a demand. This was part of the deal. If you want to be his people, you have to be circumcised. If, if you're not, then 
you don't get to just say and do whatever you want to do. So he's saying this doesn't matter anymore. He's done away with that covenant. He's done away with their significance. He's put that to the side now. Listen to what else he says. What is a Jew? Verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. In Colossians 2, 11, Paul's going to say that exact same thing again. Um, you, you cut away the old man of sin, to use a term that he's going to use in 1 Corinthians. You're going to cut away that old man, all the things that your agenda, basically, all the things that, that you want, you're going, to, you're going to circumcise that. You're going to cut that away, and you're going to put him on in baptism, becoming his person. If you want to be saved today, it's not a matter of Jewish or Gentile. It's a matter of are you baptized or not. Listen to what else he says. By the, well, but a Jew is, is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So are Israel, is Israel still important? Oh yeah, just like everyone else is important, right? Should they be protected? Oh yeah, like everyone should be protected. Are, are they still significant spiritually to God? No, they're not. Look, look at this next verse in Galatians 6, 15 and 16. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything. And in case you missed all the other verses that are on this train of thought, Here's Galatians 6, nor, circ- nor uncircumcision. He says, this, none of this matters anymore. It doesn't matter your nationality. What matters now is, are you inside of Christ or are you outside of Christ? For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon The Israel of God. What does that mean? Who is the Israel of God? That's us. That's the church. There's a new Israel. It's no longer physical Israel. Paul's going to deal with that on multiple occasions. (coughs) The distinction between physical Israel and spiritual Israel. Physical Israel is no longer any more significant to God than anyone else on the planet. But spiritual Israel, the church, the ones who are really the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those who believe in God who obey Him, who live our lives in line with who He wants us to be, those are now our forefathers because we found our way inside of Christ. And so we've been adopted into God's family, not the Jewish family, but into God's family, the original family, God's family. Let me take you to another verse, Acts 28, verses 24 to 28. We'll, we'll hopefully get into this next week. Uh, Paul finally makes his way to Rome. Um, and when he gets there, he's going to send word to the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders that are there. And he's going to say, hey, um, I'm here. <laughs> Do you guys want to talk? Because I want to talk to you. And they get there and they say, well, we had not heard anything about you. We haven't gotten any letters from Jerusalem or anything like that. Um, and he's going to talk to them about the gospel. Listen to what 24 says. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. What in the world could he have said that would make all these people leave? Because some of them are listening. Some of them are interested. What's the one statement that he makes that makes them leave? Well, this is it. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. 
and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. That's from Isaiah 6, the first time God cuts off his people, the first really time when he's going to show them that there are real consequences to disobedience. He's going to punish them as individuals, I suppose, uh, certainly as individuals before then, in between Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy and, and this moment in Isaiah 6, several hundred years. He's going to discipline individuals. But here as a nation, he's saying, you guys have to straighten up your act. Eventually, they're going to learn that Isaiah, this, this punishment, was, was, was momentary, was temporary, and that he was going to bring himself back in line with them, bring, uh, bring himself back in relationship with them. But if they continued on the path that they were on, they were going to get the exact same consequences as they got in Isaiah's day. And Paul says, that's here. What you thought was going to happen in Isaiah's day is being fulfilled right now. God is shutting you out. Don't you want to be in his good graces? Don't you want to be his people? Judaism isn't anything. Circumcision isn't anything anymore. You need to get inside of Christ. That's where the power's found. That's where salvation's found. That's where the family's found. They couldn't hear it, or they wouldn't hear it. Therefore, verse 28, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They, they will listen. Let me take you to one more verse in this respect, and we'll, we'll move on very quickly. In Galatians 3, 26, or 27 or 20, this is the passage that, that uh, Derek read for you tonight. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Because of that, because of this, because of your baptism inside of Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, right? That doesn't matter anymore. He's, he's changed the way he functions with people. In Old Testament days... It mattered which nation you were a part of to him. You needed to be a part of Abraham's family. He's made them special. And, and indeed, he's going to bring Jesus, the Messiah, all the way through their lineage. But now, he says, that doesn't matter anymore. This, this particular family, they're not special to him anymore. There's, there's no significance between Jew or Greek. In fact, there's not really any difference between slave or free or male and female. You're all one inside of Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. If you're not Christ's, conditional promise, right? If, if you're not Christ's, then what are you? Not Abraham's offspring. But I, I can trace my lineage back to Abraham. It doesn't matter. You're not Abraham's offspring. Why not? Because Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you're not willing to believe God, these, these folks are not repeatedly are not willing to believe in him, then they're not Abraham's offspring anymore. We are. We've been grafted in. That's the church, spiritual Israel. All right, very quickly. I know we're running out of time. Uh, this is the point I really wanted to get to, and I kind of had to go through all the other stuff to get here. <laughs> so will, will Jesus return to Israel to rule for a thousand years on a throne in, in Jerusalem, on David's throne in Jerusalem? The answer unequivocally is no. He will not. That, that, is, that is false. Um, the Bible will, will teach against that time and time again. Let me show you this verse in Acts chapter 2. This is obviously from the day of Pentecost, right? Jesus, uh, Peter is introducing the gospel to these people, the, this brand new way 
um, that God's going to interact with people. Peter's, Peter gets to be the one that, that introduces this new way. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. He's speaking to a group of Jews. There may be people who are not Jewish in the crowd that day, but those people have converted to Judaism and they believe in Yahweh. That's, who, that's, who, that's the crowd he's speaking to. And he's saying, you guys remember David? Of course you remember David. He's, he's the great king. He died and is buried right here. And we, we know where his tomb is. I, I can take you to it. Being there for a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. So there it is. That, that's where that's, they're going to take you to this passage and say, see, one of David's descendants, Jesus is one of David's descendants, isn't he? Yeah, you can go back and prove that through Matthew 1 and Luke 1. One of David's descendants is going to sit on David's throne. Okay, but that's not how Peter defines throne, is it? Look what else he says. Acts 2, verse 31. He foresaw, he's, Peter's talking about David. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That's the throne that he's sitting on. That's the authority that he was given. After he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, right? That's when God gave him the authority. That's when he gave him the throne. That's when Jesus sat on that throne. This is not a literal throne in Jerusalem waiting for him to, to take over. It's just, it's just not the case. Let me point you to another verse. Um, you're, you know this verse. I know you know this verse. But I think it's helpful in our discussion with this. John 18, 36 when uh, Pilate is worried, his, his one uh, problem, if he has a problem with Jesus, is that Jesus might be an insurrectionist because he's got, uh, he's got these followers. And Peter looks awfully, um, not capable with a sword, but awful, he likes it an awful lot, doesn't he? And so maybe, maybe Pilate is thinking, ah, I don't know about this whole, maybe you are an insurrectionist. Maybe you do, maybe you are a rebel. Maybe you're a political rebel. And you're trying to, to form this army, and Jesus says, nah, my kingdom's not of this world. Hmm. Well, that kind of shuts down Pilate's worries. Jesus is no longer a threat to Pilate or the Roman government because his kingdom, he says, it, it doesn't belong here. It doesn't function here. It's, it's somewhere else. It's, it's in heaven. It's in the afterlife. So if Jesus himself said that his kingdom isn't here, where's his throne going to be? Not here. His throne's somewhere else. His throne's in the afterlife, right? Last verse. Let me point you to this one. It's in Jeremiah 22. Um, this, is, this is probably my favorite verse to take folks to uh, when they start talking about this kind of uh, doctrine, this kind of theology. Jeconiah is the last sitting king of Judah. Um, he's going to be taken captive by, by the Babylonians, um, and, and there's not going to be another king on Israel's throne forever. <laughs> He's the last one. Um, and he goes off into Babylonian captivity and, and the rest is history. And so I'm curious what God says about David's throne because now it's empty, right? At the moment Jeconiah, his name here is Kaniah, but the moment he goes into Babylonian captivity, what happens to David's throne? Well, God has something to say 
about what happens to David's throne. Listen, listen to it. Um, in verse 28, <clears throat> Jeremiah says, Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? Oh, land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. You ready to hear him? Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, like he never had kids. Jeconiah does have kids. The line of succession will continue. Of course it does, because Jesus will come through that line, right? But write him down as childless. In what way, Jeremiah, by inspiration, in what way is Jeconiah childless? Well, in this way. A man shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. Okay, there you have it. Simple and clear cut, right? If Jesus were to come back and sit on David's throne, they can't even find it anymore. Literally, David's throne is, is gone. It's been gone for a couple thousand years. If Jesus could find David's throne and he happened to want to come back to Jerusalem and reign there, even he would not succeed. God himself said it. His kingdom is not of this world. When he comes back, you know what's going to happen when he returns. And the Bible doesn't say anything about him coming to set foot on this earth ever again, does it? In fact, when he comes back, how is it, what's going to happen? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, or 1 Thessalonians 4, that when he comes back, he's going to meet us, we're going to meet him in the clouds. He's not coming back here. His foot will not touch earth again. It will touch cloud, but his foot will not touch earth again. He's not coming back here to reign for a thousand years. Even if he did, he couldn't succeed. That touches the hem of the garment of premillennialism. It's just the, the, the primer that we need to put on it, but we're going to deal with that at a future date. Um, I think that this is um, prevalent uh, false doctrine. I think it's something that that is... Um, easily defended against. Uh, I think you can throw verses like this out at folks and have a good, reasonable conversation with them uh, that's beneficial to them and to you. I think you need to know what you believe about this. I think it matters. Um, and so maybe some of this stuff's been helpful for you tonight. If you're struggling spiritually, we want to know that, uh, we want you to know that we care about that. Um, we serve a God who is good, who rejoices in second chances. <coughs> excuse me, who delights in 15th chances and 25th chances and 125th chances. That's what he loves. And so tonight, if you need another chance, if you need a first chance and need to be baptized into Christ, having your sins washed away, that's how you get into his family, right? That's how your sins get washed away. We certainly want to aid you in that. If we can be helpful for it to you tonight, won't you come as we stand and sing? I am the way, hearken the loving call, obey, come for me.
Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder that there's a middle school and high school devotional at the Wallace's house um, after services this evening. And a reminder, please bring chairs for that. Also, um, this Tuesday's Young at Heart. Um, we're meeting at 10.30, heading across the Grande. Also, this Saturday, uh, Life Group 3, that's Jeremy's Life Group. We'll be meeting at Joe and Sandy Galloway's house at their pond uh, for a bonfire, and that's at 5.30. Also, next Sunday, October 22nd, will be the youth-led service at Pleasant Ridge Church of Christ, and services start at 10 a.m. Uh, Saturday, October 28th, uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday is Trunk or Treat. That starts at 6 o'clock. If you're planning on decorating your trunk for that, please sign up on the foyer table um, to let them know how many people are participating in the trunk or treat. Also, uh, on November 12th, um, after morning services, Life Group 2 will be hosting a uh, veterans dinner uh, to show their appreciation uh, to our veterans here at Rome. And um, so that is on November 12th. Um, also, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers as well. Uh, keep Jim Haney. Keep Tanya Shamblin and Jim Martin in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatment. Keep Tim Hewitt in your prayers. He still remains at St. Mary's. Keep Judy Jordan in your prayers. John Klein, Friday Simpson. Uh, Carolyn O'Lynn is back at, at St. Mary's, uh, so keep her in your prayers at this time. Keep Roger and Peg Pryor and Charlie and Alice Boso in your prayers. And keep Nancy Black, that's Marvin's aunt, who um, had, had a stroke. And... Um, Keep Elaine Witt's son-in-law in your prayers, Steve, in your prayers as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. The closing song tonight is 738. 738. Sing this song and have our closing prayer. Thank <laughs> you. 
Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day, this opportunity to gather here this evening, Father, and hear your word, Father. We are so thankful that we have it to guide us and direct us, Father. We thank you so much that you have supplied us with the outline that you want us to follow, Father. Father, we ask that you be with the church here at Rome, that we do everything that's pleasing and in accordance to thy will and, and follow your will, Father. Father, we have several that have been mentioned that are sick, that are fighting disease or or shut-ins, Father, and we ask that you be with each of them and hold each of them in your hand and be with those that, that take care of them, Father. Father, we ask that you be with our men and women in, in the service, in the military service, Father, and that you protect them and guide them and be with their families during this time, Father. And Father, we ask that you be with our leaders of this country, that you give them guidance and direction that they turn to you, Father. Father, as we prepare to leave, we thank you for Jesus. We know that you loved us because you sent him to us, he taught us, and Father, he went to the cross for us, for our sins. And we are so thankful for that, Father. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.